Amen. How is everyone this morning? I went out yesterday, went out yesterday, and uh, I got to admit, I felt in the morning, I felt like I was down the shore. You know, I, I felt the heat and the humidity, and it just, if I closed my eyes, you know, I was like, man, I could be, I could be down the shore right now. It felt really, really good. Well, we are going to start a brand new study uh, this week. Um, we mentioned it last week, and hopefully some of you took the time this week to read through the book that we are going to go through this morning. Um, I am here this morning uh, in place of Pastor Stephen. He's on vacation with family. He mentioned that last week. So we are going to um, transition here into the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk, and I hear a couple of snickers, you know, uh, um, not many people, it's not a, a go-to book for, for many people, it's not the book that you uh, necessarily turn to and just say, you know what, Lord, I need, I need some encouragement, I need some, some help this morning, uh, let's jump into Habakkuk here. But in, under, in order to understand this book, uh, it is a little bit of an unusual book, um, in a sense, uh, for instance, we don't know a whole lot about Habakkuk himself. Um, we, don't, we don't know a whole lot. Uh, the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about Habakkuk other than the fact that he is a prophet of the Lord. We don't know who his parents are. Uh, we don't know uh, what his profession is other than the fact that he is a prophet of the Lord. Um, we do know that he was musically inclined uh, a bit from this book. Um, some uh, scholars have surmised that maybe um, he was a, uh, a Levite, so uh, maybe Habakkuk was a priest, but again, we don't really have any scriptural evidence to support that. The other thing that we have to figure out when we are studying this book is um, there's a lot of poetry. Um, it's all poetry uh, in this book, and we have to figure out who is talking um, in each section. Uh, some of you may have a Bible that has nice headings at the top, and they kind of break it up for you uh, to where it says, hey, Habakkuk is speaking, the Lord is speaking, Habakkuk is speaking, the Lord is speaking. But remember, to the ancient Hebrews who had the Torah, there were, they weren't there. It was up to the reader to discern who was speaking at a specific time here. I want to give a brief history of, uh, of Israel here to this point because I think it's important to understand what's going on here. So, uh, I'd like to start in Exodus. Um, Exodus is a, uh, is a great book of the Bible. It's in the Torah. Um, it is the second book of the Bible. And in Exodus, what we find are God's people crying out. They would like to be delivered. They are in captivity in Egypt. Uh, God raises up Moses, who is going to lead the people out of Egypt. And God does many miraculous works. Uh, we remember in the book of Exodus, there are the plagues. Um, many, many miraculous things God did. He parted the Red Sea so that his people could leave. Um, he gave them food in the wilderness. He clothed them. He just took care of every possible need that the Israelites would have. Some time went on after they were able to enter into the promised land and get set up. The people began to complain, which again is a, uh, a theme through the Old Testament of the, the, uh, the people of God complaining um, about their current situation. And one of the complaints that they bring is that we do not have a king. Every other nation has a king, God. We do not have a king. So God finally says, okay, you want a king, you'll get a king. Um, and they give, God gives them King Saul. Saul reigns. Um, he's anointed of the Lord. Uh, Saul loses his way. Uh, and God then anoints David to replace Saul. Uh, David has kind of a, a, an unusual relationship. Uh, we have moments in David's life where he displays tremendous amounts of faith. And then we also have moments in David's life where we're like, oh, that's not really what you're supposed to be doing, David. All in all, though, the nation of Israel is, is thriving under King David. 
They experienced some of their greatest military battles, some of their greatest time of prosperity. It continues on through David's son Solomon, where again, Israel just continues to prosper and prosper, and then Solomon dies. And we enter this period of a divided kingdom, where there is Israel to the north and Judah to the south. The capital of Israel is a town that we are familiar with in the New Testament. It is Samaria. And in the south, they have Jerusalem. Now, the kings of the north, we read through First uh, and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, and we read the stories of the kings here. There is not a single king of the north after Solomon that does right in the sight of the Lord. They all do wicked. They set up idols. They commit abominations. They sin and sin and sin and do what's best for themselves. The South is a little different. We get a little bit of a mixed bag in there. There are a few really good kings. And one of those kings that comes along is a king named Josiah. Now, King Josiah does a few things. Um, He enacts a, a little bit of reform. He goes to the temple. He restores the temple to a point. He re, uh, reinstitutes sacrifice, and uh, he actually, in, in restoring the temple, he finds the book of the law, which has been neglected. Most scholars think he actually found the book of Deuteronomy. And what Josiah does is he takes this book of the law, And he reads it out loud to all of the people. And Israel's heart begins to turn back towards God. Well, there's a war because there's always a war, right, in the Old Testament. There's a war that comes along. Egypt comes back on the scene. And Egypt comes against Israel. Josiah goes to fight against Egypt for Israel. And Josiah dies on the battlefield. And Egypt is victorious. So, when Egypt is victorious, um, the people of Israel decide that they need a new king, so they take Josiah's firstborn son, and they say, no, you're going to be our king. Well, Egypt hears about this, and about three months later, they say, no, you're not the king. We're going to put a king in place, and they take his, uh, his secondborn son, Jehoiakim. And if you know anything about Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim was not his father. Not his father at all. He did wicked in the sight of the Lord. First, uh, Second Chronicles and Second Kings, uh, they each give about four verses to Jehoiakim. And basically they say he did wicked in the sight of the Lord and, con- and committed many abominations. Jeremiah has some interactions with this king. Um, You guys can read in Jeremiah of Jehoiakim. But most scholars agree that this is most likely the time that Habakkuk is writing here. And when Habakkuk begins to write here, we are going to see, we're going to see that there's some significant issues now in Israel with Jehoiakim as the leader. See, the people of Israel, what we learn through the Old Testament to this point here is pretty much the direction of the king was the direction of the people. And the people's hearts are turned from God right now during this reign. So, let's hop into Habakkuk chapter 1 here. Habakkuk chapter 1, again, like I said, there's a lot of poetry in here, uh, a lot of uh, metaphors and similes A lot of things that we're going to have to dive into and kind of understand about this book. But I do think that this is a very timely book. I do think in the the, uh, right now for, for where we are in Christianity, where we are as a country, where we are in history, I believe this is a very timely book. So, Habakkuk chapter 1 here. Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 1 starts off and it says, An oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence 
and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. The law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous, and justice goes forth perverted. The first thing I want to notice here, I want you guys to look at, is in in verse 1 it says an oracle. Some of you may have a different, uh, different translation there, a different word. Does anybody have a different word other than oracle in their Bible? Burden. Burden's a good word. Um, burden is a great word here. Um, literally what verse 1 is trying to convey is that Habakkuk is in distress. He is stressed out over the situation that's going on in Israel right now. He sees something and he's not happy about it. There is something heavy on his heart and in a sense what Habakkuk is doing by praying to the Lord is he is casting his cares. He is saying, Lord, I'm stuck. I don't know how to get out of this. This is not going to happen by my might or my power. I am bringing it to you Because you are the only one that can handle this. Habakkuk is going to play an active role in this prophecy. And what I mean by that is um, we see this with John in Revelation. Um, in, In his vision that he sees, in the vision that John sees, John is able to interact to a point with God in his vision. Okay, he's, he's not passively observing this. This is something that God is showing him, and he is an active member. Uh, John in Revelation, uh, we, sing, we sing songs here. Uh, John, when he sees the scrolls, what does he do? He cries out, and he says, who is worthy? Who, uh, who is worthy? He's distressed by what he sees. Habakkuk is in the same boat here. He is distressed by what he sees, and what does he see? What does he say? He says, how long, O Lord, will I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry violence and you do not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you look idly at wrong? Destruction, violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. Habakkuk cries out, violence Violence. The Hebrew word here, the Hebrew word for violence is a word that we're familiar with today. It's the word Hamas. Talk about knowing your enemy, right? I mean, if you're a terrorist organization, if you're going to threaten another nation, why not take their word for violence and make it your name? Every time they hear it, Violence. That's what we bring. It's going to play in later uh, in this verse here. But violence, Hamas. He says, I cry violence and you will not save. We learned something about Habakkuk here. Habakkuk is probably not a young man. Habakkuk has studied the word of God. How do we know this? This is almost word for word. Job chapter 19, verse 7. Almost word for word exactly what Job cries out. Violence. How long, O Lord? You will not answer me. We also hear themes of of the Exodus, right? He's crying out to God, just like the people of Israel cried out to God for deliverance. See, Habakkuk is very well educated in the law. He knows the law. He says, God, I I don't know how long this is going to take. God, how long are you going to make me see violence? How long is this going to be before me? I am exhausted by the violence that I see. He says, destruction and violence are before me in verse verse 3. Strife. And contention arise. Well, why is violence before him? Why is strife and contention arising? Well, he explains in verse 4. 
The law is paralyzed. And justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, and so justice goes forth perverted. There is no justice in this land. See, Habakkuk knows the law. He knows what should happen. Basically, what Habakkuk is saying here is that if a righteous person, if a righteous person were to go to the government, to those in power, and say, hey, you know what? So-and-so stole my sheep. And there was a ton of evidence for the fact that so-and-so did steal the sheep. There is a very great chance that he would not receive justice. He would not receive his sheep back. He would go away frustrated. This brings strife and contention. When obvious laws are ignored, when the law of God is ignored, chaos reigns. And this is what Habakkuk is seeing. He's seeing the violence. He's seeing the contention. He's seeing the strife. And we wouldn't know anything about that now in our country, would we? This is difficult. Um, And some of you may agree with me and some of you may not agree with me. Uh, But uh, I grew up... um, I grew up Roman Catholic, okay, I grew up Roman Catholic. Uh, I grew up going to concerts, okay, I grew up going to concerts, many, many concerts I went to. I think my first concert was probably a Springsteen concert, um, because we were in Philly, and, you know, there's that Springsteen-Philly-Jersey connection, Um, but went to many, many concerts, and there are artists out there that for years have been crying out violence, injustice, foul. Things are not right. We had artists back in the 40s who were screaming this from the rooftops. Billie Holiday. Billie Holiday wrote a song. Well, she didn't write the song. It was a poem that was written um, called Strange Fruit. Strange Fruit. This song is basically a horrific truth-telling of what it was like to be an African-American during that time in the South. It's horrific. It brutally depicts what happens to African-Americans in the South. There's blood on the trees. There's blood on the roots. Billie Holiday, it's recorded that, that when, she, when she recorded the album... She recorded it in Carnegie Hall. And the crowd was going nuts. They were going crazy for Billy's songs. And then she sung Strange Fruit. And there was dead silence. We don't know if it was anger. We don't know if it was shock. We don't know. It should have been disgust is what it should have been. Showstopper. Other artists would rise up. And they would take up her plight and other plights. We had people like Stevie Wonder who would sing about social injustice and the, and the reform that needed to happen. James Brown would stand up and sing. We had other artists that would sing songs and would be blackballed for what they sung. They, their careers were over because they were too political. We continue on into the 70s in our country. And we see artists like Bob Dylan, who would write an album called The Free Wheelin' Bob Dylan, where he would cry out about the injustice of war, the Cuban Missile Crisis, the strife and contention that's created. He would cry out against the Vietnam War and the injustices that would, that would come. We had other artists pick up the civil rights movement. And write songs like, the revolution will not be televised. Guys, in our country, through our history, our artists, our poets from the world have been crying out violence. 
They've been screaming it from the rooftops. The danger we have as conservative Christians is that, you know what? To be honest with you, I personally haven't struggled that way. I personally have not experienced that. And therefore, it is easy for me to just shut it down and say, you know what? It really doesn't matter who's president. Some of you may have heard me say this in arrogance and stupidity. It really doesn't matter who's in charge. You know what? My life isn't that much different. And the sad thing is that for me personally, that's true. That's true. For years we said, you know what, don't, don't listen to those songs, don't listen to that type of music. You know, I would find as I grew up that some of these things actually would touch me a little more because of my, my heritage. There'd be artists like U2, the Cranberries, some of the UK artists who would talk about some of the social injustice that goes on in the, in the United Kingdom, some of the wars that went on in, 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 um, oh, in Ireland between the IRA, the, uh, the, uh, the Protestants, and the, uh, and the Catholics, of which, obviously, I would be right in the middle of. Um, our artists cry out violence. Yet, as most conservative Christians, we shut our ears to it. I don't think it's right. I don't think it's right. I think we, we pick a particular party that we're going to follow, and that's the direction that we're going to go. We have a man here who's crying, listen, all day long, all I see is violence. He is completely justified in what he says because it is true. The law has been numbed. They can't get justice. This is Habakkuk's perspective. Guess what, guys? There are entire people groups in our country right now that this is their perspective. How do we effectively minister to them? How do we come alongside? What encouragement can we give? Well, let's keep reading Habakkuk because even though it's going to get worse before it gets better, eventually it's going to be better. Verse 5. Look among the nations. Here the Lord is answering uh, Habakkuk. The Lord is going to answer Habakkuk here. He says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. What does Habakkuk say? What do I look? What do I look at? What do I see? Well, I look and I see violence. I see strife. I see contention. It's all I see all day long. God says, look at something else. Look at the nations. See, wonder, be astounded. For I'm doing a work in your days that if you were told, you would not believe. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. Oh, no. Oh, no. I imagine Habakkuk here. Uh, Habakkuk is a man after my own heart, um, and uh, we'll reveal why a little bit later here, but I'm going to give you guys an analogy. This is Habakkuk. Habakkuk is on his knees crying out to God, God, it's been raining for days. My basement is flooded. The water is rising, Lord. Help! I've been crying out for days, help, help, help. And God answers and he says, oh Habakkuk, look out your window. Do you see that dam? I'm about to break the dam. You won't have to worry about your house. That's what God says to Habakkuk here. Listen, you're upset about the leadership that's in charge of Israel right now? Hey, don't worry about it. I got it taken care of. I'm going to bring the Babylonians. How about that? Oh, no. 
there are four things that we learn about God in these coming verses here. And we, we come upon the first point here. Um, and we've already touched on the fourth point here a bit. But the first point is that when the people of God cry, God hears. Notice what I pointed out here. He uses similar language to the question that's asked. Look, see. God heard exactly what Habakkuk cried out, and he's answering him from that perspective. He's saying, listen, what you see right now, what you're looking at right now, is a symptom. It's a symptom of a, of a bigger problem. Obviously, the people are far from my heart, and I am going to bring judgment in the form of the Babylonians. So who are the Babylonians? Well, I need, oh boy, you guys are writing. Um, I need a few volunteers here just to, just to kind of illustrate what we're doing. I'm going to call the Hubers up. Uh, I'm going to call the Mulligans, the Man Warrens here, everybody in front, uh, the Pages and the Rose. Come on up. Um, you can come up too, Ashley, if you want. Um, okay. So little, little, fun, little fun history lesson here. You guys know I'm not a writer, okay? I'm a, I'm a talker. I'm not a writer here. Um, so I am going to ask... Well, you guys are on, on good sides here. Okay, so I'm going to ask the man warrants to stand over here by the drums. Over here by the drums. Uh, Hubers, you guys uh, stand up here by the bass guitar over here in this area. Uh, Mulligans, uh, come on up here. And you guys are going to, uh, Ashley, you come up here too. Uh, you're going to stand right about here by the guitar. Okay, you guys are over here by the guitar. And then you guys go ahead and stand by the piano here. All right, so this is the setup that we've got. You ready? Another little history lesson. I love history. Um, another little history lesson. So we have the, I'm sorry, guys, you guys are the Babylonians. <laughs> we've got the Babylonians over here. We've got another group that we haven't even mentioned, the Assyrians up here, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, then we have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And you guys notice I did place everybody strategically. You know, the Babylonians are bad. They're over by the drums. Um, the Assyrians are up here. They're kind of bad. They're by the base. You know, I mean, it's kind of bad, right? Uh, and then you kind of have the, the acceptable ones. You have the, the northern kingdom by the guitar here. You know, all right, guitar, but then you have the piano, and there's never anything wrong with the piano, right? Um, so that's, that's where we said. So what happens here in history? What happens here during the time of Habakkuk? Well, what happens is the Assyrians come on over, and they attack the northern kingdom. Don't attack Ashley too hard. You can, you can beat my parents. And the Assyrians then take over the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom is gone. Nahum comes along, and Nahum cries out against the Assyrians and the, the awfulness of the Assyrians. Now remember, we already talked about the Assyrians a little bit, right? The last few weeks, what city was in Assyria? Nineveh. In college, that was my swear word. Okay, I had a Christian swear word. It was Nineveh, you know. I'm getting mad. Nineveh, you know. Uh, just scream it from the housetops, right? Well, Nineveh is evil. Nahum cries against it. And Babylon, the new kids on the block, they're hanging tough. They got the right stuff. Anyway, uh, Babylon comes over and they attack Assyria and they beat Assyria. Northern Israel has been avenged. But now we have a very large group against a smaller group here. And this is what God is about to do. And this is what he's telling Habakkuk. Listen, buddy. There's an army on the doorstep here. And I'm going to use them. All right, thank you guys. Go ahead, have a seat. You guys didn't get to, get to attack yet. Get to that, but you will. Um... So this is what God is doing. He's saying, listen, this is what I'm about to do to you. Thank you for adjusting the camera, Billy. He's on top of things. All right. Verse 6 says, For behold, I'm rising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. Guys, what do we know about the Babylonians? Well, we know from the book of Daniel basically three things. They're evil. They're powerful, maybe four. They're smart, and they're very efficient. Very efficient. 
When the Babylonians come in, yes, they are strong. They are wicked, but they're also smart and efficient. When they come in to take Daniel, what do they do? Take Israel, what do they do? They take, who do they take? They take the young people, right? They take the young people out of their, out of their nation, and what do they do? Well, they basically stick them into their Babylonian schools, and they rename them. Rename each individual person. Give them a brand new name. Teach them new things. And they say, we are going to re-educate you. We are going to indoctrinate you in our ways. Thank goodness that doesn't happen today. Anyway, um, this is how the Babylonians work. Verse 7, they are dreaded and fearsome. Justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Whoa, God. Wait a minute. Justice and dignity go forth from them. What, what the heck is going on? And I think we're supposed to ask ourselves at this point. Justice and dignity, they are dreaded. They are feared. Guys, you remember Exodus? Remember what God did in, in Israel? Remember the plagues that he, he caused? Remember how the Red Sea parted? Do you guys remember after the 10th plague what the people of Egypt did for the people of Israel? They basically paid them to leave. They're like, get out of here. They, they took the gold from their houses and they handed it to them and said, please, go. Get out of here. Go. Leave us alone. In Joshua chapter 2, when the nation of Israel is standing outside of Jericho and the spies go in, what does Rahab say to the spies? Hey, guys, I'm hiding you guys. Guess what? We've heard about your God and we are scared to death. Dread falls upon every person. Babylon, feared, dreaded. Justice goes forth. This used to be Israel. This used to be them. The people of God. Fear and dread went out before them. The holiness of the Lord shone before them. What happened? This is what Habakkuk is struggling with. What happened? Verse 8, their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press on proudly. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like eagles, swift to devour. Pastor Stephen doesn't like snakes. I hate horses. I'm just going to be honest with you. There's something about horses that I don't trust. You know, there's a point of me, too, that it, it does translate into other animals. I'm afraid of deer, okay? Uh, that's more of a, a again, you got you to look back at the, at the root cause of things. I'm afraid for my car, for deer, okay? And deer, I look at them as big rabbits, you know, sometimes, okay? Like a deer will be like standing, it'll be running full tilt, and it'll get to the road, and it'll just be like, and it'll look, it'll look, and it's got, you know, both deer and horses, like, I have no idea how they see, but, you know, they got the eyes on the side of their head, and they're just like, and I'm like, dude, I see you. Like, are you going to turn around? Am I going to start going, and you freak out and just, you know, run out in front of me? Like, what do I do? I've literally been in standoffs with a deer. Like, I'm like, dude, I just don't want you to hit my car. Like, go hit somebody else's car. No, um, you know, again, they're big rabbits. Horses, on the other hand, Man, alive. Like when a horse gets spooked, like, I mean, some of them turn into like ninjas and samurais. Like, oh, don't walk behind the horse because if the horse isn't ready, you know, just like kick you and kick you hard. If it doesn't want to be ridden, like I've seen horses literally ignore their own self preservation. Like they'll jump in the air, turn sideways, and just boom, like straight on the ground. And I'm like, dude. What a violent animal. People are like, oh, I love horses. Like, I hate horses. 
They're scary. And God tells Habakkuk here, you think horses are scary, he tells me. You think horses are scary. These horses are faster than leopards. They're more fierce than wolves in the evening. They are to be feared. Their horsemen press on proudly. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like eagles to devour. These are motivated, focused individuals with a plan and a purpose. And that purpose is to be what? A leopard, a wolf, an eagle. All predators. They are the alpha predator. They are the strongest nation. And that is their job to devour, to take up things that that aren't theirs. Verse 9, they come for violence. Their faces, all their faces forward, they gather captives like sand. At kings, they scoff. At rulers, they laugh. They laugh at every fortress. They pile up earth and take it. They sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. This is the second thing we learn about God here. God judges wickedness. It may not be in the way that Habakkuk wants, but our God judges wickedness. When Habakkuk the prophet cries out violence, injustice, strife, contention, all of these things, God listens and he says, Don't worry, judgment is coming. Habakkuk, it may not be the way you want it. It may not look like the way you want it. To be honest with you, Habakkuk probably just wanted another king like Josiah or a king like David or a king like Solomon who would bring the people back so that justice could go forth again, so that it wouldn't be perverted. But God says, I'm sending a sledgehammer. I am sending Babylon. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 talks about the coming of the day of the Lord. Um, It talks about how it comes as a a thief in the night. That it's surprising. That the drunk are taken off guard by it. That the people of darkness are taken off guard by it. But that we are sons of light. That we need to see these things that are coming. God is going to promise in Habakkuk that the day of the Lord is coming. This is a part of the plan though, Habakkuk. You have to be on board with part of the plan. Point number one, I heard you. God hears us. Point number two, he judges wickedness. Point number three, which was actually point number two, I missed it. Uh, Point number three is that God is in charge here. What does God say? I will rise up the Chaldeans. I will cause them to come. God is completely in charge. Habakkuk is going to think, listen, this is out of control. This is nuts. This doesn't work. This isn't my plan, God. It's your plan. Habakkuk's going to elaborate on this in a second here. Verse 12. I imagine I imagine Habakkuk has to breathe for a second here. After hearing that the dam is going to break, Babylon is coming, they're going to take us over. He's got to take a second here. But he says something interesting. He says, are you not from everlasting O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. This is a good practice for us to do. See, the final thing that we learn about God here in this this passage is that God's answer sometimes can be shocking. Sometimes it can be confusing. Sometimes it can be the answer that we don't want, even though we asked for it. A good practice for us to do when we get confused about what God is doing 
is to repeat what we know. What do we know about God? And that's what Habakkuk does here. God, you are everlasting. You are from everlasting. You have no beginning. You have no end. You are my God. You are my Holy One. God, you are perfect. You are in control. I know. I understand. Lord, you have ordained them as judgment. I understand what you said. That the Babylonians are going to be judgment for Israel. And you, O rock, have established them for reproof. God, I understand that you are in control. I understand that this is your plan. I know that in my head. I know that because you have said it, this is what is going to happen. These are the things that I understand. Verse 13, these are the things I'm struggling with. You are pure You who are purer eyes than to see evil cannot look at wrong. Why do you look idly at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? The word traitors there, it's going to come up again in in chapters ahead of us here. Uh, it's, It's a good translation of that word. It's also a little bit of a confusing one. Um, if you don't understand the context. I probably would favor some other translations which say the treacherous, the treacherous one. Um, In the structure here of what's going on in, in verse 13, that seems to make a little more sense. They look like one thing, but really they bring something completely different. What he is saying here, he's saying, listen, God, you can't look at evil and can't look at wrong, but why, God? You, we're wrong. Like, we're bad. Like, we're, we're struggling here. But what you're doing, God, is you're sending someone who's even worse than us to come in and judge us. Guys, this is the point of the book of Habakkuk here. How does a holy and perfect God allow injustice in this world? How? Is there any hope? Is there any reason to think that this is going to change? Habakkuk goes on to elaborate. He says, listen, God, I I can't even imagine what you're doing here. God, if you make this judgment, if this is what is going to happen, God, then here is the result. And this is why I love Habakkuk, because Habakkuk basically gives God an analogy here. And he says, listen, God, if this is the result, If this is the answer of how long I must cry, violence, this is what you're doing, God. Just so you know, this is what you're doing. This result, verse 14, you make mankind like fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet and so rejoices to be glad. I know many of you think I'm going to go on a fishing tangent, but I'm not. Um, Therefore, he sacrifices to his net. He makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. God. Verse 17. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing the nations forever? God, what you are ordaining here, what what Habakkuk is saying, is listen, the Babylonians are like fishermen, and everyone that they've conquered are like the fish of the sea. And they come in, and they swoop in with their nets, And they drag everyone up with a a hook. All of the nations, they gather up. God, you said they laugh at kings. They scoff at fortresses. They have no respect for anyone else. They're like sand to them. They're like piles of earth. They have no regard for human life whatsoever. They're like animals. God, if you do this, won't they just look at their nets? Won't they just look at the hook? Won't they just worship the very implements of destruction that caused them to do this? God, they're not going to look to you. God, they're not going to honor you. Your glory is not going to go forth, God. They're going to look at themselves and say, hey, you know what? 
We're pretty strong. We're pretty strong. Back in verse 11, God said, they sweep, they sweep by like wind and go on. Guilty men whose might is their own God. Turn with me real quick to Daniel chapter 4. And we're going to wrap up here. Daniel chapter 4, verses 28 through 30. Babylon has already come in at this point. They've already defeated the southern kingdom. And King Nebuchadnezzar, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, decides he's going for a walk. And he gets on top of his palace. In verse 28 it says, All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is this not great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? This is what Habakkuk says is going to happen. Nebuchadnezzar is going to have times where he seems like he is turning towards God. That he's respecting God and respecting his authority and power. But right here, this is the heart of who the Babylonians are. Look at what I've done. Look at this great conquest we've been on. We are not just, we are not, we are not just a nation conqueror. We are the conquerors of nations. God is starting something here with Babylon where this idea of world domination is going to spread from nation to nation that follows. No one from this point on is going to be content with just conquering one nation. They want an empire. They want land. They want to take this idea of piling up sand and piling up earth, and they want more and more. They are going to set their faces to it. Their horses are going to go out, and they are going to conquer nation after nation. And this is what Habakkuk says, God, what will stop them? If they conquer us, what will stop them? They're just going to keep going on worshiping their nets, They're going to keep going on conquering nations. They're going to be an unstoppable force. Habakkuk makes his argument. Chapter 2, verse 1, we're going to end here. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Next week, we're going to look at God's answer, all of chapter 2. I think we need to do some introspection here for the next two minutes that we finish up. The first question we need to ask ourselves is, do we know God? Do we know who he is? Do we know what he stands for? Do we know that he is from everlasting? Do we know that he is in control? Do we know that he judges the wicked? And do we know that sometimes his answer will be shocking to us? Habakkuk is struggling with all of these things right now. It's it's a pretty bleak situation. It's hard to have hope, but next week, God is going to give Habakkuk hope. We are going to come to a verse in Habakkuk that will echo throughout the centuries. The righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. Guys, we live in a a chaotic world. My prayer for you this week, and this goes along with the introspection, is where is our faith? Is, Is our faith in ourselves? Is it in our job? Is it in providing for our family? Is it in our family? Is it in our church? Like the building itself? Ultimately, is it in our nation? Habakkuk is told right here, your land is gone. 
Babylonians are coming. He doesn't tell him everything. He does tell him enough, though. I imagine if God were to tell Habakkuk that not only are the Babylonians coming for judgment, but they're going to do some things that would break you. It would. It would break him. If God told Habakkuk flat out that the Babylonians are going to destroy God's temple, that would probably be a breaking point for Habakkuk. What's your breaking point? If God said, hey, you know what? I know you love your job. You don't have it anymore. Hey, I know you love your house. You don't have it anymore. Hey, I know you love your church building. You don't have it anymore. What if God were to say to you, hey, I know you love your country. You don't have it anymore. Would you still be able to say, you hear me, God. You're in control, God. Lord, I understand that you punish wickedness and sin. And God, your answer is shocking. How do I respond to this? And that's what we're going to see in Habakkuk. Father God, Lord, we just thank you for this morning. God, we pray as our worship team comes up. God, we just pray, Lord, that our faith and our hope is not in our own might. God, in our own glory. God, as we go from this place, God, Lord, I pray that when it gets confusing, when this world seems out of control, God, when we don't know which way is up, God, that we would turn to you. We would remember the things that are true about you. God, that you existed before time began. Lord, you'll be here after time is over. God, that you are steady and stable, that you are our rock. God, that you are our God and we are your people. God, that we will not die. Lord, as we finish here today, God, I think of the, the families, Lord, that are struggling right now. Lord, maybe it's, a, maybe it's a job situation. Lord, maybe they feel like they've been wronged in some way and they can't get justice. That everyone around them is telling them, it's not so bad. Just get over it. God, you hear them. Lord, I pray that you would comfort them. Lord, it may not be the answer that they want. God, I pray, though, that they would have Habakkuk's heart. God, that they would be willing to accept your will and say, Lord, I know it's going to happen because you have decreed it. God, I pray as we continue in this study, Lord, that we grow closer to you. We gain a greater understanding of your plan for us. God, and that you are glorified in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen.